Thank you, Annie and everyone else. Great to be with you today. Some time ago, a King's Church pastor was helping out a small church near Bristol, and they were running a summer Bible club for children. And he asked a group of kids, Now, children, who can tell me one of the Ten Commandments? And a young boy thrust his hand into the air and replied confidently in a broad West Country accent, Lying, stealing, and showing your willy to people. (laughs) Now, every time I think about that answer, I wonder what it was that made those three things come into the boy's mind. I've always suspected that there was an element of confession. And it turns out he was right about two of them. Lying and stealing are named in the Ten Commandments. Flashing is not named. Although at a stretch it could be included as a breach of the seventh commandment. But lying and stealing, we know these things are wrong, don't we? We all know that. If you're a, a, a skeptical or curious person here today, you're not, probably wouldn't be a Christian yet or we're not sure. Even if you're not sure about the teaching of the Bible, we all know, don't we, that lying and stealing are wrong. I think every, in every culture that I know, these things carry shame. Lying and stealing destroy relationships. They hurt people. They're, but there is a bit of a difference. Most people are willing to admit that they sometimes lie. And anyone who says they never lie is probably lying. But, but we've developed ways of making lying sound better than it is, haven't we? Little white lies, they're somehow better than the other ones. Exaggeration, spin, bending the truth, telling porky pies, or as one of my kids used to say, porcupines. But what about stealing? I think this is something we're less likely to admit. I wonder, you you may be willing to admit a lot of things, but have you ever heard anyone say, oh, I'm terrible, you know, I'm just totally untrustworthy. I'm an absolute thief. Can I borrow your bike? (laughs) And I think one reason for this is that most respectable people think they don't steal. They think that they can tick this box and move on. At last, we say, I've kept one of the Ten Commandments. But that's only possible if we let this commandment stay at its most superficial level. We're seeing this every week at the moment. The the law in the Bible, if you excuse me for using a big word uh, here, a technical word, law in the Bible is, this kind of law is paradigmatic. It's a paradigm, which means it states a principle and then you have to work out the implications. So a paradigm approach to law is very different to a case law approach. If you were to ask what English law looks like, you ever seen a lawyer inside of a lawyer's office or seen them on TV where they have these endless bound Volumes of, of, of books. These are cases of law. Hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of, of, of cases that establish what the law is. So if you want to know what the English law is, you have to look at thousands of pages. Whereas in the Bible, it, we have one principle, but we're asked to, to dig in and understand it and work out the implications for ourselves. You shall not steal And remember, these Ten Commandments are not just a list of do's and don'ts. Through Moses, the living God is giving his people a blueprint of what it means to be fully human. 
This is what it means to be truly human, to choose life. Real life, free life. So if we want to experience joy and justice and hope and peace, all the things that everybody wants, we now seek to apply these ancient words to our modern lives in South London. Here is the eighth word, you shall not steal. And we're going to think about this subject under three headings today. They all begin with R. There's the reality, the root, and the reform of stealing. The reality of stealing, the root of stealing, and the reform of stealing. The reality of stealing, point one, you shall never steal. What is covered by this? Well, first of all, there's some obvious headline grabbers. Kidnap. It's never a good idea. Trafficking, fraud, robbery, burglary. In the year ending March 2023, that's this year, there were 191,490 police-recorded home burglaries in England and Wales. Over 191,000. And those are the ones that were recorded by the police. The London area, the greater London area, had the most home burglaries in the country. 37, nearly 37,500 burglaries were reported to the police. That's 102 burglaries a day around London. A house is burgled every 14 minutes. How long have we been in here? Three of your houses have already been burgled. Stay where you are. It's too late to do anything about it. Now, here's some more interesting facts. In, in 70% of burglaries, the offender goes in through the door. Only 30% uh, go in through the window. Over half of domestic burglary incidents, someone was at home while the offender gained entry, which is an unpleasant thought, isn't it? Someone uh, happened to, to neighbours of ours in Manchester. In nearly half of the burglary incidents over the years, the perpetrator was someone that the victim knew, at least by sight. Now, we can all look at these things and shake our heads. They're awful. It's an awful thing to do to someone. But the reality is, even though everyone is welcome here, there are very few armed robbers in this church. They're out robbing your home right now. Most people here are a long way from breaking and entering. Our stealing is much more acceptable. And we're going to call it Pharisee theft. Pharisee theft. Now the Pharisees were a movement of sincere Bible-believing Jews who were very influential in Jesus' time. They were big on morality and they were big on the Bible. They were keen on enforcing standards for themselves and others. But Jesus famously took them to the cleaners over some double standards and loopholes that they had developed. They wanted to avoid the radical implications of God's law while at the same time appear to keep it. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus talks about a practice called Korban. God's law had stipulated that his people should provide for their parents financially and in every way. But in this rule called Korban, you could dedicate a sum of money, set it aside for God. This money's devoted to God, and that means I don't have to spend it on caring for my parents. See, it's a loophole. And it meant that you could keep the money in your own bank account. Jesus had no time for this kind of thing. It was actually robbing from your parents' support. Now, what about us? I want to talk about the acceptable face of stealing, the reality 
of it. And I've come up with eight words for the eighth commandment. This is what acceptable stealing looks like. Plagiarizing, copying, evading, pilfering, dossing, scrounging, milking, and underpaying. Plagiarizing, copying, evading, pilfering, dossing, scrounging, milking, and underpaying. It's all stealing. Plagiarizing is when you steal somebody else's work, somebody else's intellectual property, and you claim their work as yours without giving credit. It's theft. It's easy to do if you're a student or perhaps in one of the creative professions. And it is deeply shaming if you are discovered. A teacher once wrote, this essay was both original and great. Sadly, the parts that were great were not original, and the parts that were original were not great. <laughs> I think the rule of thumb here is to ask, how would I feel if I discovered someone had used my work in that way? There's a famous story of a rural Welsh preacher uh, over 100 years ago. He was a, a, a simple man, and he used to use American sermons and read them out in the church and he stood one day in front of the church and said, and began the sermon with these words, the other morning, as I gazed out upon the Shenandoah Valley, he had never left Wales. Now, closely related to plagiarizing is copying, especially things like music and software. How many Microsoft products do you have that you have never paid for? How many... Um, Subscriptions to things like Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Amazon Prime, and other uh, streaming services that you actually don't pay for. Do you pay for your TV license? If not, then you can't watch BBC things. How many songs do you listen to that the artists have never received a penny for from you? You stole from them. Then there's evading. and I'm talking about tax. Now, I know that we all pay too much tax. Don't get me started. And that Mr. Bumble was right. The law is an ass. Nevertheless, Christians are to pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Romans 13, verse 7. So friends, Christian friends here, are you keeping these simple commands of integrity? If you do a self-assessment tax return, is it honest? If you have a taxable benefit, is it declared? If you are asked to declare your income and savings, do you? Then there's pilfering. Now this word pilfer, much underused, is taking and stealing stuff that typically has little value, so we think they'll never miss it. Swiping office supplies. How many work stationary products have found their way to your home? Using company resources for oneself. Some people steal milk, pens, paper, and loo rolls from the office. There was actually a man who used to boil the kettle at work, put the hot water in his thermos flask, and take it home so he didn't have to boil his own kettle. <laughs> you couldn't make it up. 
More seriously, things like padding your timesheet to make it look like you've worked longer than you did, or adding dubious items on your expense claim form, or rounding things up, or claiming for things that you don't actually have a right to claim for. It's all pilfering. And then there's dossing. Lazing around in work time. You're being paid, if you work here, you're being paid for a certain amount of work. It might be measured in hours, it might be measured in outcomes. Are you actually doing what you're supposed to do, what you're being paid to do? I once worked in an office with another Christian. It was well known in the organization that this person almost never did any work. It was well known. This dear soul arrived at their desk in the morning, put on some slippers, and sat there all day doing nothing. And this was in the days before the internet. Must have had some pretty sharp pencils. Now, post-internet, it's really so easy to look like you're working. But in reality, you could be viewing anything on your screen except your actual work. Are you confident that if your boss walked around the corner at any moment of the day and saw what was on your screen, you would be proud of it? What about using work time for personal calls, messaging? In most jobs, a few quick calls are considered reasonable, but what about an hour on the phone chatting to a friend? Dossing. Then there's scrounging, another great word, to seek to obtain something at the expense of others or by stealth. Are there times, friends, where you use other people's resources just to avoid paying for them? I remember once going to a friend, his name was Nick Marshall in Kingston. He had a fantastic record collection. This was in the days when records were made of vinyl and they were about that big. Some of you don't remember that. Records were great. They were also quite expensive. I used to go with another friend, I'm not going to say his name, and every so often he would just take one of Nick's records and just steal it. <laughs> just take it home with him with no intention of giving it back. Then there's milking, and I'm not talking about cows. I'm talking about the benefit system, tax credits, job seekers allowance, other benefits. These great British systems, and they really are great, were put in place to help people in genuine hardship until they got back on their feet. They were never intended to support a lifestyle with no intention to work. Now, I know it's hard to find a job sometimes, but how hard are you trying? Then there's underpaying. This is the other end of the spectrum. A fair day's work deserves a fair day's pay. Some of you here are in the position to employ people. Do you pay a fair wage? Or do you, as Jesus put it, muzzle the, sorry, not Jesus, the Old Testament put it, muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. It's a vivid image. The ox's job is to tread out the grain, but if you muzzle it, it can't even eat a bit. Screwing them down. Professional people sometimes try and screw tradesmen down on price and then expect the highest standards. Trades guys sometimes respond by cutting corners. Eight words. And I realize that most of these things are standard practice in the world around us. But that is precisely the point. God's people are called to a radical lifestyle that is countercultural in the middle of the world. Theologian David Wells once said, worldliness is what makes sin look normal in any age and righteousness seem odd. 
Worldliness is what makes sin look normal and righteousness seem odd. Now, how do you feel now that you've heard these examples of acceptable Pharisee theft? I think suddenly we realize that we're all thieves. We're all convicted somewhere. We're all guilty as charged. But this realization could lead us to just being more, just moralism, being more moral. It could make us squirm and then focus on just changing our behavior. And that actually, ironically, can lead us to being worse because it can lead to us being harsh and proud. And a very good friend of mine here at this church, who I won't name, called me a few days after we recently uh, looked at the sixth commandment. We were talking about you shall not murder and all the implications of that. And the flip side of that is that if you shall not murder, you shall do everything in your power to protect human life. So one example, we thought about how we drive. And this dear friend went to work the next day and for the two or three days, he kept the speed limit completely perfectly. And he said, on day two, I realized I was starting to tut at other drivers. Speeding. He also realized that other drivers were getting infuriated with him for keeping the speed limit. So by day three, he found there was this terrible pride coming up in his heart because he was keeping the law. You see how wicked the heart is? We're all like it. The point of these Ten Commandments is not to make us proud because we modified our behavior. I spoke about this commandment ten years ago and one woman went home and searched the house high and low for work pens. This is not, I mean, there may be, maybe, but we will need to go much, much deeper, friends. The point of these commandments is not to make us proud and judgmental. The point is that they are given to show us what we're like and then show us how to live. They are the maker's instructions on how to live a life of greatness, how to flourish. So let's go deeper than the reality of stealing to the root. What's the root of this? We, it's only when we understand the roots of behavior, the roots of our motivation, that we can start to really change. The root of stealing. Some people have said that the heart of stealing is greed. Greed. We want more than we have, so we take I think that's getting warm, but it's not the heart because it doesn't explain why we would be greedy in the first place. Others have said that stealing is driven by covetousness. That's the desire to have something else, typically an over-the-top desire to possess something that belongs to another person. But that doesn't explain why we would do it in the first place. I think the root of stealing goes very, very deep, and here's what I think. The deepest root, bless you, the deepest root is discontent. Discontentment. Dissatisfaction with my life, with what I've got, with what I am. A lack of satisfaction with my circumstances and the desire to just take a bit more. A lack of satisfaction with my bank balance and finances. A lack of satisfaction with our technological resources Oh, I've just got this old phone. A lack of satisfaction with our bodies, our faces, what the good Lord has given us. A lack of satisfaction with our partner or our lack of partner. A lack of satisfaction with our job or lack of a job. A lack of satisfaction with our possessions, our stuff, craving for more. A lack of satisfaction with our clothes. 
a lack of satisfaction with our situation in life and the feeling, if only I had more, that would fix it. And there is this deep well of discontentment that makes thieves out of us because we're just grabbing for more and it's discontentment that drives every thieving hand. There's something inside that just wants more. If only I had that, if only I had more of that, then it would fix it and I would feel satisfied and complete. But it won't fix it. It never does. See, the desire for more is like a cracked milk jug. You're always pouring, needing filling. It is never full. It's leaking out, creating a mess. So the cure for our hearts is not to get more of A, B, or C by stealing, borrowing, pilfering, and scrounging. The cure will lie in us learning how to be contented. The Apostle Paul once said, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That's it. Satisfied with sufficiency. The cure for discontentment is contentment. Then you would never need to steal again. So, where are we going to get this contentment? We will only get it when we believe that Christ is enough. We will only get it when we really believe in our heart of hearts that Jesus Christ is enough. So, is Jesus Christ enough for you? Do you trust him? Can you trust him? Do you love him? Do you rely on him? Can you rely on him? Or are you still trusting in your own efforts to be your own Lord and Savior, loving yourself and relying on your own goodness? Do you believe that Jesus Christ left the throne of heaven for you? Such was his love. Do you believe that though he was rich, he became poor for your sake so that you, through his poverty, might become rich, might become an heir, an adopted child of God the Father. Do you believe that when Jesus shed his precious blood on the cross, when he suffered and died in agony, he was doing so for you, to free you, to forgive you, to cleanse you, to restore you, to give you an unimaginable future? So friends, if you believe that, then do you yet believe that Jesus right now loves you and he will provide for you what you need in life, everything that you really need? A friend of mine was a church planter. He was starting a new congregation in an area in the north. He was in a period of great financial hardship. He was struggling to pay the bills. And yet he was, you know, felt he was doing the Lord's work and working hard and he, Probably a bit of self-pity crept in and he, he got on his knees and he prayed, Lord, if you love me, send me a check. And as quick as a flash, the answer came, if you love me? If Jesus Christ went to the cross for you, does he now need to send you a check to prove his love? See how short-sighted we are? 
So the real question is, is Christ enough? Because if he is, you can learn to be the content, you can learn the secret of being content with what you have. If not, we would want to steal. And the interesting thing is that, in, again, in the New Testament, in the letter to the Colossian church, it says, greed is idolatry. Greed, wanting more, is actually idolatry. It's worshipping a false god. Because it means I can't trust God for what he's given me. I need to get more. Is Christ enough? If he is, you can grow in contentment and you can be generous. That's a full life, a free life, a flourishing life. If Christ is not enough, then you will always steal. This is why rich people steal. Celebrities steal because they never have enough. Is Christ enough for us? Jesus said we could trust God. We could trust the providence of God to look after us, knowing that he's our father. He knows every hair on your head. He knows exactly what you need. He even said this, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you much more valuable than a bird? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Know the answer. Actually, by worrying, you could probably definitely take a few hours off your life. But you can't add any. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith. So don't worry, saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows what you need, friend. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. If you know that he has and will give everything you need, then you can rest in Jesus. And I've experienced this more than once. Some years ago, we had quite a healthy amount in the stock market, several thousand pounds in savings, and a nice house here in South London that was rented and covering its mortgage. And in the space of a few months, almost all of it fell apart. The stock market crashed. I made some poor financial decisions. Then the savings evaporated, as they do. The boiler broke in the house, and then we suddenly needed to build a 5,000-pound retaining wall at the property. All of a sudden, it went. And I went from being actually a bit of a lover of money who studied the market and dreamed of making quick profits to having nothing. You know what? I learned this. I had to fall out of love with money in order to taste the provision of the Father. It was actually one of the best things that ever happened to me. I had to learn that Christ is enough. And when you realize that, you go beyond the root of stealing to being changed, the reform, the reform of stealing. And the greatest, simplest New Testament text about stealing is found in a simple verse. Mary read it earlier. Sorry, Annie read it earlier. Ephesians 4.28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, 
doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. There are three steps for uh, someone who's been a, a thief or a stolen to reform their ways. Clear and simple, three steps. Stop, work, and give. Stop, work, and give. So what's the opposite of stealing? Giving. The opposite of stealing isn't saving. The opposite of stealing is giving. And here we find that beautiful flip side of the commandment. Remember, every commandment has a negative and a positive teaching. The prohibition, you shall never steal, is matched by you shall always give. And to be able to give to people who are in need, we have to work so that we have something to share. Christians sometimes think that it's a bit dodgy to to earn a lot of money. Sometimes act as though career advancement and wanting a good salary and a big bonus is somehow unspiritual. It's nonsense. It's great to create wealth. It's great to earn money. It's wonderful if God has given you the gift of making money. I just wish he'd given it to me. (laughs) Kidding. I spoke a few years ago to a wonderful uh, London pastor who was a great leader in this country, a man called Dick Lucas. And he said, you know, most of the big Bible teaching initiatives of the previous 20 years were funded by two men who had the gift of making money. And they also had the gift of giving it away. The issue isn't about money, it's about our hearts. If you were entrusted with a lot, would you give a lot away? The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Not money itself, it's, it's loving it too much. So the final question is, what can make us change in our hearts? What can change us from being people who want to grasp things and serve self and protect ourselves to being open-handed, generous people who can give, even give eye-popping amounts of money, even give to the level where it looks like it's not that sensible. What can turn a thief into a giver? And the answer is a crucified Lord. People stood watching and the rulers even sneered at Jesus. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals, thieves, who hung there, hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we're punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see what Jesus is like? Even at the moment of extremity, the the vileness and hatred of human people of all types, the crushing wrath of God the Father, the, the naked shame of the cross, the agony, he still asks God to forgive people and he has room in his heart for a dying thief and a promise. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. 
but there are no thieves in heaven. So how does this work? It must mean that the forgiven man is no longer a thief. He has been changed seeing Jesus on the cross. And that's what we need to, to see him on the cross, pouring his life out for us that we could be rich, guaranteeing our provision of everything we really need. The good news isn't just that you're forgiven, friends. The good news is that that forgiveness transforms you. It sets you free from loving and worrying about money. When you know that Jesus Christ knew exactly what you were like, he knows everything about you, but he willingly went to the cross for you, then you are broken up. And then you are born again to newness of life. Then you are free to stop stealing. You're free to work and give, to live an honest life, a life that's full of integrity, that is a beautiful advert to all around for the grace of God. Let's pray. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Oh Lord, we come before you today. We're so um, flawed. We're so compromised. We look at ourselves. We, We know we're not what we should be, but we thank you that you're full of grace We thank you that you even looked at that dying thief and pardoned him when he reached out in simple trust. We thank you that you promised paradise to those who don't deserve it. Change our hearts again, we pray. Make us satisfied and give us integrity. And draw those here who don't know you into your family, we pray. Amen. Amen.